ESPN Radio. Listening to ESPN Radio on a Monday with HD and CC. And no, that doesn't mean high definition and closed caption. That means Harry Douglas and your boy Chris Canty. We're also on E, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Canty call in line, 888 ESPN. That's 888 729 3776. And Harry, I just heard something on the Christine Lisi Sports Center update that said that Jeremy Fowler might suggest the price for Aaron Rodgers is too high for other teams to pay in terms of draft compensation and a contract. And I was just wondering to myself, could you give up too much to get a back-to-back MVP in Aaron Rodgers if you feel like you're a quarterback away? I don't want you to answer that now. That was more of a rhetorical because we're going to get to that at some point later on in the show. We got a jam-packed show today, but the only place to start is what we saw yesterday in TD Garden because the Celtics and the Nets didn't disappoint. When you looked at yesterday's slate, outside of Bucks and Suns, you would probably say that was the game that you were most looking forward to because you did have a Brooklyn Nets team with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then, of course, the Boston Celtics with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown back in the lineup. And it was a back-and-forth game the entirety of the game. And then ultimately in the fourth quarter, That man named Jason Tatum took over, scored 18 of his 54 points in that fourth quarter. So I got to ask you, Harry, what did you see in that game? What was your impression of both teams coming out of yesterday's matchup? Well, looking at the Brooklyn uh, Nets and then looking at the Celtics, clearly you've seen a team who knew who they were, and that showed in the Boston Celtics winning their game, and then the Brooklyn Nets, a team who doesn't have an identity right now, who don't know who they are. Because there's so many holes. Uh, Kyrie not being there every game. Ben Simmons not playing. And then that leads to mistakes defensively. I tweeted, Chris, Mm. with five minutes left in that game. Can the Brooklyn Nets get the stops that they need to win this ball game? The results told us no. Because Jason Tatum did his thing. And there's no way in hell should someone the size of Seth Curry ever be guarding a top five one-on-one score in the National Basketball Association in Jason Tatum. And that's what he did. He picked on him time and time again. And credit to Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics, their coaching staff, for finding that matchup, understanding that it was going to be a mismatch. Tatum being about 6'7", 6'8", shooting over a smaller cor- uh, uh, Curry. But I love the fact that he was patient. He didn't force things. He played within his game. He took his spots, but then when it came to crunch time and him being doubled, he made the right play at the right time to a wide-open Brown who hit a three and basically put the dagger in the Brooklyn Nets. Now, when it came to the Brooklyn Nets, they're going to have to figure some things out defensively because (laughs) that performance was piss poor. And I mean piss poor in my eyes because I don't see how you let a guy score 54 points, and I'm going to put some pressure on this next player I'm about to mention. Kevin Durant, I understand he scored 37 points. He uh-huh. balled out. We know he's a scoring machine. Yeah. But when that game's on the line, we ain't telling you to guard him the entire game. Last six minutes, you got to tell coach, I got him. You have to tell coach that. Because that was the matchup they were picking on over and over and over again. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And I'm absolutely with you on that one, Harry. I don't understand how you let a guy that dropped 36 points through the first 
three quarters of the game the opportunity to match up against Nick Claxton or Seth Curry or Bruce Brown. It's at that point where Kevin Durant, as the leader of that net squad, has got to step up. And we know KD is a versatile defender. This is a guy that's seven feet tall, that, that has elite-level athleticism. He can guard one through five. That, I mean, he is the prototype when it comes to positionless basketball in today's game. And so the fact that he didn't step up and accept that challenge leads me to believe that there might be more to his health situation and Steve mm-hmm. Nash trying to manage that throughout the remainder of the regular season and on into the postseason. But that just puts more emphasis on Kyrie Irving being a full-time player and more emphasis on the Brooklyn Nets doing whatever they got to do as an organization to get Ben Simmons back in the right mental mind state in order to contribute to this team. Because if you had Ben Simmons, the the defensive strategy for that game looks a lot different, especially in the fourth quarter. When you can throw him at Jason Tatum, when you can throw him at Jalen Brown, that gives you a lot, a lot of other options in terms of your coverages and your responsibilities. But one thing was clear, and I noticed this with Steve Nash on the bench in the timeout when they had him mic'd up. He said that there was going to be some spots in this game that they were going to be a little clunky. It wasn't going to be pretty just because those guys hadn't been in a rotation together. And mm-hmm. I think we can expect more of that as we continue to move through the rest of the regular season because, I mean, you're talking about Kyrie Irving only playing in a total of 16 games this season and only being eligible to play in six more with the vaccine mandate that's still in place. But I don't want any of that to overshadow the performance that we saw from Jason Tatum on Sunday because the guy absolutely put on a show. And it's hard to believe that he just turned 24 because it feels like he's been in the league a really, really long time. I know it's only been five years, but it feels like he's been in the league a lot longer than that. But this guy has a maturity beyond his years, especially in those pressure moments. He's not afraid to take the big shots. And yesterday was no different. Here is Jason Tatum on the big night that he had and how it was impacted by something that he saw on Saturday night. Take a listen. Saturday night, I watched the Lakers play, and I seen LeBron score 56. And obviously he is the highest standard, right? You know, him and him and MJ. But, you know, I, I watched that game, and I think the best players, we watch each other play. We see what guys are doing in the league. And to be one of the best, you notice things like that, and you almost try to outdo them. And I think that's the approach I take. And that mentality I took in the yesterday's game is, you know, I just remember I watched LeBron play the night before. Now, Harry, to put into context what Jason Tatum did yesterday with dropping 54 points, that was his fourth 50-plus point game in a Celtics uniform, tying him with the franchise record with one Larry Bird for the all-time record for 50-plus point games in the franchise's history. And since the NBA-ABA merger, only three players have had more 50-point games before turning 25 years old. Now, keep in mind, Jason Tatum just turned 24 last week. All right. So since the merger, only three players have had more 50-point games before turning 25 than Jason Tatum. The three players are Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Kobe Bryant. Harry, when you hear that, what 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 is that? What does that make you feel? What does that make you think about Jason Tatum in terms of his stature and the level of play that you're seeing from him in the second half of this season? Top five one-on-one players in the National Basketball Association. And I want to go top three. I want to move up two slots and go top three. But you have those physical, imposing human beings that are freight trains that you can't can't just overlook those guys. But every time I watch Jason Tatum, it's like he gets a bucket when he wants. 
He has the ability to fade away, shoot over top of people. And what I love the most is his ability to get to the free throw line. Yesterday mm-hmm. he shot 17 free throws. He was 14 for 17. But then he's efficient from the field. But him shooting all those free throws allows me to say he is not settling for anything other than what he wants to do when it comes to scoring the basketball. And that's a great mindset to have. He's just not on the perimeter. He's attacking the basket. You see him late in the game. I don't even know how he split that one double team with Kyrie, and I can't remember who else it was, but it looked like he went behind the back between the legs or something and laid the ball up late in that game. And I said to myself, how in the hell did he even get, get out of that? Being as tall as he is and dribbling the basketball and guys that are shorter than him closer to the floor. But Jason Tatum, man, he, he is a – assassin when it comes to putting that ball in the basket and it is showing but the team total last night they shot 38 free throws compared to Brooklyn's 20 so that told me alone that the Boston Celtics were the more aggressive team and the uh, Brooklyn Nets were not yeah I mean here's the thing this Boston Celtics team has been playing good ball for a really long time I think they've won 14 of their last 16 games and they're doing it on the defensive end Harry That's what a lot of people aren't recognizing. Yesterday was no different. I mean, they were able to force 16 turnovers on the Brooklyn Nets, and that resulted in 18 points, and they outscored the Brooklyn Nets in fast break points 21-7. to When you play defense the way that they do, it gets you a lot of easy opportunities in transition, and M.A. Adoku, their new head coach, has gotten them to buy in on that side of the court. They are second in the NBA in defensive efficiency this season, They are first since the calendar turned to 2022 in defensive efficiency. That has to be the story of the Boston Celtics. I get it. You got a lot of flashy guys, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, right at the forefront of that thing that make people pay attention to their offensive prowess. But this is a defensive-minded team. And so I put the ball back in your court, no pun intended, with them being, what, a game and a half away from the second seed with, uh, with the Philadelphia Sixers, how do you feel about this Brooklyn? I mean, this Boston Celtics team? What is the upside for Boston when you look at the landscape of the Eastern Conference? I'll say when you look at this team, and to your credit, talking about this team defensively, a credit to that is those guys understanding their role. A, a Jalen Brown, understanding that he, he's the Robin and a damn good Robin at that, a Al Horford, Derek White, who I've been impressed with since he's gotten his chances to go out there and perform. A Marcus Smart, we know what he means to this Celtics team. Robert Williams III, Grant Williams coming off the bench from Tennessee. But when you look at this team, if they continue to play together and everyone understands uh, their role and don't try to play outside their means, I think they can make it pretty far. The only thing is, is that you have so many juggernauts in that Eastern Conference this year. See, the Eastern Conference now is like the Western Conference used to be. You have five or six teams that's going to go, going to be competing to go to the NBA Finals. So that's the thing. When they run up against to, uh, against some of these other teams who may have deeper benches and better scores, and it's crazy that I say that, but when I mean better scores, I mean two guys. And then you look at the Milwaukee Bucks, they have three because mm-hmm. Drew Holiday has woken the hell up. Yeah, Drew, Drew Holiday said he's ready to play now. Yeah, he's Drew ready Holiday's to play. So I think they can make it as far as they allow themselves. But do I think they're going to make it to the NBA Finals? I don't because the Eastern Conference is just too stacked. All right. That is Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Coming up next, between the Brooklyn Nets and the Boston Celtics, which team has a better shot of making a run? Harry kind of lets you know where he's leaning. I'll tell you which way I'm going. But first, a word from Wendy's. The number one pick is in. It's Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. 
Every day, choose from Wendy's stack starting lineup, like the breakfast baconator, my personal favorite, or the honey butter chicken biscuit. And like any great team, Wendy's is bringing the breakfast legends. Oven-baked sizzling bacon, of course you gotta have that, the fresh cracked eggs, perfectly seasoned breakfast potatoes, and the simply orange juice to bring it on home. Make fast break your make a fast break for your nearest Wendy's drive-thru and pick up your Wendy's breakfast, the official breakfast of March Madness. Choose wisely, choose Wendy's. Hearing your name in any sentence, you know, with somebody like Larry Bird. It's only a dream come true. He made shots. He's a shot maker. He got some free throws there in the fourth, and then he made some tough shots, three-point shots over top of us. You know, he's a you know elite shot maker. You're listening to ESPN Radio with Harry Douglas and Chris Canny, also on E+. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And as always, we want you to tap in on the Canny call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And we got to hear from you guys because we need you to help us answer the question of whether the Brooklyn Nets or the Boston Celtics are legit contenders. And, Harry, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, you're not buying into the Boston Celtics being able to make a run to the NBA Finals and where do you stand with the Brooklyn Nets? Because that's also a question that you're going to get a lot of different answers from depending on who you ask. Yeah, currently I'm worried about them just because you need that continuity, especially going into the playoffs. And I just don't think they have enough time to get on the same page. Now, do I think they can make it all the way to the, to the finals? I do, even though I'm worried about them right now because they do have a guy uh, named Kevin Durant. Kevin DeGrant, when, when he's healthy, I think he is the best player in basketball. You have a Kyrie. Uh, ben Simmons, a guy you mentioned, when he's able to play, when he's able to play and defend, I think he could be able to get them, help them on the defensive end and get some stops. But if I had to choose between them and the, and the, and the, and the Boston Celtics, I, I got to go with the Brooklyn Nets. Even though I'm worried about them, Chris, I know it sounds crazy. I'm going with the Brooklyn Nets. Well, hold on, Harry. I'm not saying you got to pick either or. I'm saying are either one of them a legit contender? Like, are, are you going to take one, both, or none? Oh, if I if, – oh, man, that's tough. I'm going to go with the Nets. I'm not going to count them. No, so right you're now. still going to go with the Nets. Okay, so I'm you're not going to dismiss the Nets completely. Here's no. my problem with the Brooklyn Nets. I could absolutely see a world where the Brooklyn Nets end up in the NBA Finals for a lot of the reasons that you outlined – if Ben Simmons comes back at some point, if Kyrie turns into a full-time player and you still get Kevin Durant playing at the level that we saw him at yesterday or, quite frankly, the level that we saw him at on Thursday night against the Miami Heat, if all three of those things happen, then you're probably talking about the Nets being able to get at, at least to the Final Four and, if not, into the NBA Finals. The only thing that I have to say is that's a lot of ifs, Harry. That's a lot of ifs, man, and there's so much of a – a spread. There's so much variance with what you're going to get from this team on a night-in, night-out basis just because you don't know who's going to be in the lineup. So while we live in a world where I could see the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA Finals, we also live in a world where the Brooklyn Nets are below 500 with a month left in the season and seem like they're poised to be locked into the play-in tournament. And we're not just talking about being one of the seven or eight seeds. Right now, Brooklyn is the nine seed. So that means they would have to win two games in order to get that eighth spot in the postseason if the playoffs started today. And what does that gift you? A date with the Miami Heat. 
I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, Harry. I, I have a hard time buying into this Brooklyn Nets team. I could absolutely see a world where they're on the outside looking in when we get to the postseason. So it's strange to say that I view them as a contender, and yet I also think there's a distinct possibility that they missed the playoffs. But, I mean, that's that's just where I'm at with it. Now, we did hear from ESPN NBA analyst Kendrick Perkins on first take this morning. Here's his take on whether or not the Nets or the Celtics are legit contenders. Take a listen. It's the Boston Celtics. Did you see how the Garden was rocking last night? Did you see it? And look, we already know that Jason Tatum has been one of the most prolific scorers in the game today. But guess what? He's turned it up another night. Give me the Boston Celtics right now. Give me the Celtics over the Brooklyn Nets. And just to have Kendrick Perkins back because big guys got to stick together, Harry, I got to drop this little nugget out there for you. The Nets being 32 and 33, no team that has been under 500 through the first 65-plus games of the season has ever won the championship. That's just the reality of where they're at. They've lost 17 in their last 20 games. No team in NBA history has gone 3-17 and 17 or worse over a 20-game span and reached the finals. They lost 11 straight games earlier this season. No team has won a playoff series after losing 10-plus consecutive games at any point during the regular season. So it just feels like this, this Brooklyn... I guess, benefit of the doubt that everybody seems to be assigning them is strictly based on potential and it's based on talent and not based on the evidence, the data points that we've seen throughout the course of this regular season. Well, I agree with you there because we, when you look at a Ben Simmons, you look at a Kevin Durant, a Kyrie Irving, when all three of those guys are able to play on the basketball court together, the potential is there. And what you said, there's if, ifs, ifs, and ifs. If it can happen, if this can go right, if that can go right. And looking at Kevin Durant, and, and I guess Kevin Durant is the, is, is, the, is the bright spot in all of this. Yeah. He's such a prolific scorer, and he can make up for so many deficiencies uh, on a basketball team that you still give this, this club hope. But now if Ben Simmons can't come back and score at least 10 points a game, I don't think it's a, it's a possibility. Because I do think losing James Harden, you lose another dynamic scorer. But at the end of the day, if this team can somehow find their rhythm and find their groove and find that continuity, they also a team that can make it to the NBA Finals. And, I, and, I, and you, they have two guys that have been in those situations, been in the NBA Finals, and the Kyrie Irving, the Kevin Durant. Both of those guys has won a title. So it's not like they don't know what it takes to get there. They just got to implement those things throughout the rest of their roster. No, I hear you on that, and Kyrie and KD both know what it takes to win a championship, which is why I'm surprised that they're going a second consecutive season with not having the core elements of their team actually having a chance to play together and build momentum as they move toward the postseason. One more note on the Ben Simmons front. I'm not worried about Ben Simmons once he gets on the court. What I am worried about is Ben Simmons' mental health and how that affects you know when the Nets – can expect him to be available to play. That's my biggest concern. Once he's on the court with those other guys, with Kyrie and Kevin Durant, both of those guys can space the floor as shooters. Ben Simmons is going to have plenty of room to operate in terms of being able to get to the rim, and then we know what kind of defender he is. He's one of the best defensive players in all of basketball. Dare I say the best perimeter defender in the game today. So I I just – I'm not worried about what we're going to see on the court. I'm just worried about if we'll ever see all three of them on the court at any point this season. Because if we don't, then any chance that they have to get to the NBA Finals is up in smoke. And so that's where we're at. We're going to have to leave that conversation there. But coming up next, 
Does our next guest believe that the Lakers can still make a run? Now, as a Lakers fan, I don't, but but maybe he can convince me. That's on the other side of the break. You're listening to Harry Douglas, Chris Canning, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. It's ESPN Radio with Harry Douglas and Chris Canny. Get at us on Twitter at HDouglas83 at ChrisCanny99. As always, we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Canny call in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And we got to bring on one of my guys, uh, co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast and 13-year NBA veteran Quentin Richardson. Also find him on social media at Q Rich. And Q, I just got to cut straight to it, man. That performance that Jason Tatum put on last night, dropping 54 points against the Brooklyn Nets, really, really impressive what I've seen from him and what I've seen from this Boston Celtics team over the course of the last month or so. And so I wanted to ask you, did we learn more about Boston or did we more learn more about Brooklyn in that game yesterday? Uh, I would say we learned more about Boston. You know, the, 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 I think, you know, we definitely learned that, that they are a, a real threat now. You know what I'm saying? They've built up a, a chemistry, and I think they, they, they're building a culture there with, with uh, Ime Adoka. So shout out to him. That's one of my former teammates. He's, a, he's over there. You know, it takes time to establish things in the league. And I think now, you know, his system and everything that he's trying to implement is kind of taking hold. And you've seen them winning the coach of the month this past month. And, um, Tatum is a stud, man. That's like the, that's the young bro right there. Uh, we got the same agent. Uh, he 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 continues to show, you know, that he he's one of the best guys out there doing it. He's one of the best players in the league, flat out. Q, I gotta ask you this: When you look at the Boston Celtics right now, they're fifth in the Eastern Conference, and the Bulls are fourth. If the playoffs were to start today, do you think the Celtics would beat the Bulls in a seven-game series? With everybody fully healthy on both squads, I don't know that. I can't. I definitely can't. Can't honestly go out and say yes, they would, or yes, they would, or no, they wouldn't. Because I mean, the Bulls, the Bulls are, are a hell of a team. We all know that, especially at full health. Because uh, I don't think people understand what Lonzo Ball and Alex Caruso bring to the table in that backcourt. You know, on that perimeter, defending the way they do and pushing the ball. But uh, I, I I don't know who would win that series, but I think it would be a – I would look at it as a seven-game series, and it could go either way because both of those teams are our first good teams and solid teams together, but they have outstanding individual players that can, can get on a roll. You know, obviously we just saw Tatum get 54, but, you know, Jalen Brown can get on a huge roll. Then you look on the other side, you got you – got, you know, DeMar, who's having the all-NBA season, Zach Levine is an all-star, so you got a lot of explosiveness there, and I think it would be an unbelievable series. Talking with 13-year NBA veteran Quentin Richardson on ESPN Radio. And Q Rich, I'm a Lakers fan. It's been a rough season, but LeBron did give us a little bit of a, little bit of a bright spot on Saturday night, dropping 56 in a win against the Warriors. Does that performance by LeBron – change the outlook on what this Lakers team can be with the remainder of the regular season and hopefully on into the playoffs? Man, I don't know about, I mean, obviously everybody else has, you know, they've been on a roller coaster as far as their opinion. My opinion has stayed the same. I feel like as long as you have LeBron and he's playing at the level he's playing at, you always going to have a chance. Now, I, I, I don't know when, you know, they expect to get AD back because I do think that matters. But I mean, 
as long as they got LeBron, I don't, I don't care if it's a play-in scenario or whatever. I think they 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 definitely have a chance, and I, I don't count them out until they're actually out and I see it's done and over with. Q. Rich, what's the one thing that they've got to improve on beyond just getting AD back? What's the thing that they've got to get better at as a team if they're going to find themselves in the playoffs and be able to go on a run? They have to consistently know. I mean, after LeBron, it's a crapshoot. You never know where it's coming from. It's not a lot of consistency there after, you know, after him. And, and obviously, I don't care who you are, LeBron included, you need you need that co-cast, that, you know, somebody else that you can depend on and that they can rely on is going to be there night in and night out. And right now, he, had, you know, they, they haven't really had that. It's been Malik Monk, it's been Melo, it's been Russ, it's been, you know, just different people at different times. But you need you need that sturdy, at least, at least a two. I mean, most teams are like a, a two and a three guy, but you need at least a consistent two to be there with LeBron because LeBron is playing out of his mind unbelievable. And it's like if this season doesn't pan out, then this is one of his you know, best individual seasons that would be kind of wasted. When you look at a guy like Russell Westbrook, who's had his struggles this year, do you think a guy like him and his caliber, the caliber that he brings to the basketball court, do you think he should come off the bench or you think they should continue to let him start? I mean, that's a, that's a tough thing. I mean, you know, me not being in that locker room and not knowing the total dynamic, I mean, it's hard for me to say that, but I mean, my whole thing is a player always always try to do what was best for the team. You know what I'm saying? I feel like Russ Russ is in a position where his you know, he's a top seventy five player. He's he's one of the greatest players we've ever we've ever seen. And I don't think whether he comes off the bench or whatever it happens, that's gonna impact that at all or change that. So I mean, I don't know that that's what's being you know, we don't know if that's factual what's being asked of him or whatever, but I mean for me if you if you want to win championships and you want to and you want to uh, you know reach that ultimate goal, you got to make sacrifices and you got to be able to do things. So if that's something that's being asked from from or it's from his team and his coaches, I mean that's something that you know he has to think about. Talking with Quentin Richardson, co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast. Find him on Twitter at Q Rich and Q Rich. The disrespect is real when it comes to the Miami Heat. When we watch all of these shows, I'm sure you watch. All of the shows, get up, first take, everything like that. Everybody dismisses the Miami Heat as a title contender, and yet they're the number one seed in the Eastern Conference through 65 games. Can you tell me why nobody is buying into the Miami Heat as a true title contender? Because I don't understand it. Man, I think when you look at at Miami, the makeup is more kind of like how the teams were in the the 90s, more so. Like, yeah, you had... You still have your superstars. You still have Jimmy Butler. You still have Bam Adebayo, who are all stars and superstars in this league. But they are, they are a true team, and they are, you know, more the sum of them together is what makes them great because they got so many different pieces that fit right. They have their culture. They, it's, a, it's, it's everything. It's a, it's a synergy from top to bottom. It's an understanding when you win that organization that this is what the goal is, and everybody's doing everything to push toward that goal. They try their best to push individual things to the back of the line, and that's what makes them different. And, I mean, it may not be as sexy as people want it to be, and maybe that's why they don't get the attention because they, they kind of uh, roll your sleeves up and get the work type of team and, and bring your lunch pail. But, I mean, I, I know for a fact at the end of the day they have as good a chance as anybody in this, in this Eastern Conference and they'll come, come away with it all. 
I feel the same way, Q. Rich. That's one of the teams that's that's underrated, but I fully expect that the Miami Heat are going to be there in the end when it comes to who's going to make it out of the East to the NBA Finals. Q, we appreciate a few minutes of your time, big time. Thanks for getting with us. Um, as always, look forward to talking to you on the next episode. Yes, sir. Many times, fellas. Keep doing your thing. All right. That's 13-year NBA veteran Quentin Richardson, also co-host of the Knuckleheads podcast. Find him at Q Rich on the Twitter. Coming up next, we'll hit the combine and the news and notes coming out of Indy, as well as some surprising news from Atlanta, Harry Douglas's neck of the woods. We'll get into that on the other side of it. This is ESPN Radio, also streaming on the ESPN app. ESPN Radio. Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio, also on E+. And Harry, we got a lot going on, a lot of news from the NFL coming out of Indianapolis with the Combine. A lot of guys turning heads at the Combine this past weekend. Who was the guy that caught your eye, the guy that stood out to you the most? Ooh, the guy. I'm going to go with the team, college team. That was University of Georgia. They had just about every guy who attended the combine, put up fantastic numbers. So there are going to be a lot of guys from the Georgia Bulldogs national championship team offensively and defensively on NFL rosters from James Cook, Zamir Wright, Pickens, Slayer, Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. And here's the thing about that defense that blew my mind. And a lot of people get enamored by stats and what's there and what's not there. But on that Georgia defensive front seven, the most sacks anyone had on that defense was six and a half. And that's that because, was Trayvon Walker, right? Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. because Kirby Smart. No, that was actually um, Robert Beale Jr. He oh, had six okay. and a half. And that's not even counting Adam Anderson, who stopped playing after a while, who had five. But they diversified and played a lot of guys. And you see a guy like Jermaine Johnson, who transferred from a Georgia, goes to Florida State, has tremendous production, and has double-digit sacks. So that's just a little, little nugget for people out there who are wondering why these guys didn't have a lot of sacks. It's because there were so many of them, and they rotated in and out with their reps. Well, you ain't got to tell me that. I played on a defensive line that was eight deep with the New York Giants when we won Super Bowl Forty Six. So mm-hmm. I get it, man. Guys are fighting for reps just so they can have the opportunity to get sacks. But one of the guys that turned a lot of heads when he was at the Combine was, like you mentioned, the Georgia defensive line, Jordan Davis, 6-6-341 and running a 4-7-8-40. Now, Harry, he sets the record for guys that are 310-plus pounds running the 40-yard dash. Um, really impressed by the physical attributes of it. He, he passed the test in terms of athleticism, but the big question is whether or not he can be a three-down player in the NFL. We know on first and second down and base defenses, he's going to be a nose tackle. He's going to dominate those A-gaps. But can he develop enough tools in the tool bag to be a guy that can consistently collapse the pocket? I think that's the question that a lot of NFL teams are going to go back to the film and ask themselves because the physical tools are there. It's just a matter of can he develop the skills in order to be a consistent pass rusher. If he can't, you have to wonder how much positional value he brings to the table and what kind of draft capital a team is willing to invest in that. Yeah, he's going to have to keep his weight down. He's going to have to eat right. You don't have people in the National Football League babysitting you uh, when it comes to those regards. They just find you and take the money out your pocket. So he's going to have to stay on top of that. More Kenny and Douglas, and that's straight ahead on ESPN Radio. You're listening to Chris Kenny and Harry Douglas on ESPN Radio, also on E+. We are presented by Progressive Insurance. 
As always, hit us up on the Canty call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, Harry, not all of the news coming out of Indianapolis and the scouting combine was positive this weekend. We just got word of some disappointing news, to say the least, from NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, who today suspended Calvin Ridley, wide receiver for the Atlanta Falcons, indefinitely through at least the conclusion of the 2022 NFL season for betting on NFL games in the 2021 season. The activity took place a during a five-day period in late November while Ridley was not with the team and was away from the club's facility on the non-football illness list. A league investigation uncovered no evidence indicating any inside information was used on that and any that game was compromised in any way nor was there evidence to suggest any awareness by coaches, staff, teammates, or other players of his betting activity. Now, Commissioner Goodell sent the letter to Ridley notifying him of the suspension, and he says that there is no, there is nothing more fundamental to the NFL's success and to the reputation of everyone associated with our league than upholding the integrity of the game. Your thoughts, your initial reaction when you heard the news? I thought, thought it was immature, and for a guy who didn't play the entire season for the Atlanta Falcons, these, these kind of mistakes you, you just don't make because you know the ins and outs. You know the do's and don'ts. There, there's a guy by the name of Pete Rose who is not in the Hall of Fame because of situations like this. Mm. That's the one person you would probably even need to – that's all you need to know about when it comes to betting on a sport that you're playing professionally. But when it comes to Calvin Ridley, listen, unbelievable talent on the football field can beat you with short, intermediate, deep threat, the whole nine. But decisions like this derail careers. And a guy who's so talented, you just don't want to see him make mistakes like this. And I got something, Chris. How the hell do you get fired on your day off? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you're bringing a little levity into this one. You're you're right. I mean, this is worse than stealing boxes, though. I, I just, the thing that I don't get is that when every player comes into the National Football League, they give you that handbook. And one of the things that they tell you, when they're giving you that symposium, whether it was the the rookie symposium where everybody flew into one destination or the symposium that the clubs do with their individual draft class, everybody is told that you cannot gamble on football. You cannot bet on the NFL. You know that going into it. So for Calvin Ridley to decide to fly in the face of that and to gamble on football, it just makes no sense. And, Harry, here's the other part about this. Just from a logistic standpoint or a common sense standpoint, <laughs> if you wanted to place a bet on the game, you don't have to do it yourself. You, uh, you, you could have your you could have your significant other do it. You can have a cousin do it, a relative do it. Any you can have anybody else place the bet for you on the game if you want to bet on the game. Why do you feel like you need to place the bet yourself? I mean, it just it just does not make any sense to me. And then the fact that you think the NFL does not have the resources in order to find that out, when it comes to a lot of these apps, DraftKings, FanDuel, the, the NFL has ownership. NFL owners have ownership stakes in those companies. So it's inevitable that if you do decide to go that route and you want to bet on games, they are going to find out. So it's absolutely ridiculous that Calvin Ridley would think he would be able to get away with something like this. But to Roger Goodell's point that he sent in that letter, this is one of those things that the NFL knew could potentially happen with the emergence of sports gambling and it being readily available 
in the majority of the states that they do business in, right? This is something that you knew could potentially happen. Like, you know, people that are involved in the game, whether it's referees, whether it's coaches, front office executives, players, having access from their smartphones, if they so choose, to bet on football games. It's something that you have to worry about because you are the most popular sport in North America. You're the sport that generates the most interest. It's clear that there's going to be an interest in gambling and betting on the sport. And so I think this is one of the NFL, one of the things, one of the downsides to the NFL inviting sports gambling to be a part of their entertainment product. Yeah, Chris, I, I just think he, he let his family down first. Um, and then he let his teammates down. He let the Atlanta Falcons team down. And he was actually uh, potentially going to be moved by the Atlanta Falcons. Now, I don't – Know the he ain't getting moved right now. You oh, can't no, no, no. Him now. That's, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, but <laughs> it, it puts the team in a bad situation as well. And when you're away from football, that's why I, I think mentors are so important. Being intact with, with certain coaches is very important because when you're away from football, a lot of different things creep up, Chris. That's why we see so many things go down across sports in the offseason because guys are away from the facility. Uh, they, they, they're exposed to a lot more. But there also should have been somebody that he's cool with and around him to tell him, no, bro, this is not the move. Like, you're, you're risking too much. You're risking too much. And, and is, is gambling that serious? Calvin, I think he was going to make 11 or $12 million this year. You ain't going to make 11 or $12 million on that app. Well, well here's, here's what we got to be careful. And you're right, Harry, but here's what we got to be careful when having this conversation. Sometimes gambling can enter into the realm of being an addiction, just like anything else. And Correct. so when you're involved in something – um, when you when you you know, when you have that competitive nature, when you're a football player and you're so much a part of the sport, you think you have a level of insight that would be beneficial to you when it comes to betting on the sport. So I can I can I, I can understand how someone could go down the path where this could potentially happen. What I don't understand is why Calvin Ridley would feel like he would need to do it himself if, in fact, he did want to get involved with sports betting in the NFL. Like there there's. You know, I'm not advocating that players in the NFL do this, but you could have got a relative to do it. You could have got a close friend to do it. You didn't have to be the one that was deciding to bet on football, but this is something that you shouldn't have done anyway. And so when you see a story like this, automatically in my mind, I go to the place of this could be an addiction that Calvin Ridley was dealing with. And we got to acknowledge also that he spent the better half of the last two months of the season away from the team dealing with mental health issues. I'm not sure if this was a part of what he was going through, but it's certainly something that we absolutely have to consider. So um, this is an ugly situation. I'm sure more details about this are going to continue to come out. But right now, Commissioner Roger Goodell has some really serious problems to address when it comes to the integrity of the sport. We'll continue with this story. It's Harry Douglas and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio.